You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. It's Curtis Arnold, and I serve as one of the elders here. The reading this morning is from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. We'll be reading the first seven verses of chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true, and Father that you provide it to us because you are a God who loves us and God is true. Father, be with Jeremy this morning as he brings the word. Open our hearts and our minds to listen clearly, listen accurately, and Father, pray that you would change our hearts and our minds, help us to follow you and become more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Curtis. It was 1992, and the Olympic Games were on TV when they got to a semifinal race of the 400-meter dash. If you're not familiar with track, 400-meter dash, that's one lap around, and some call it the hardest race because while mere mortals like you and I would run that race and pace ourselves halfway through and then maybe kick it in at the end, the real athletes, they just take off in a dead sprint all the way around. And so there in the Olympics, there was a guy from Great Britain named Derek Redmond, and he is running in this race. He's been dreaming about the finals. He's been training and working tirelessly to get to this point. And as the race begins, he's in a good position. And then about halfway in, on the back 200, he tears his hamstring. He falls over. He's in his lane. While the rest of the runners cross and some advance to the finals. So the race is done for everybody except that guy. And you can tell the crowd is kind. They're feeling sorry for him. I learned the Brits have this tradition. If you start a race, you finish it. I like that. So that guy got up. And he's barely able to put any weight on his bad leg. And he starts limping down the back 200. And all of a sudden, the crowd, you know, honoring him for not being done but trying to finish that race, they start to rally and get behind him. 
If you were to watch that YouTube video, you would find yourself feeling quite emotional. If you don't get emotional watching it, you are a psychopath. That's, as well, that's what I'm saying. As it's, it's just so fitting. And, and, and I think perhaps some of the emotion for me, I don't know about for you, some of the emotion is because you can identify metaphorically with Redmond. You have this dream. You have this vision of what you're hoping to accomplish. And you've actually put the work in. And you're going about your business, doing what needs to be done, when all of a sudden, a wrecking ball comes and tears your hamstring in half. Have you ever found yourself face down in your metaphorical running lane, wondering, what just hit me? Feeling broken, tired, alone. And everybody else, they're just trucking on along and they're winning the race. They're advancing and you're sitting there in pain. This morning, we begin a new sermon series in this, the second letter of Paul to Timothy. And we find Timothy in a situation that is quite similar to Derek Redman from 1992. Timothy has been running a race when all of a sudden he gets blindsided, he's laid out, pain is shooting everywhere, and he's wondering, do I have what it takes to get to that finish line? Paul's big idea in this letter and Paul's big idea in this section, both for hurting Timothy as well as anyone in here who maybe walked in feeling weary or discouraged, is this. Carry on in the fight by remembering your spiritual heritage. Carry on in the fight by remembering your spiritual heritage. If you're here and you're taking notes, I know kids, we have a special opportunity this morning because sometimes we, you, you're in uh, children's ministry this morning, though, we get to have you here. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down because that's the sermon in a sentence. This whole sermon I'm arguing for is this. Carry on the fight by remembering your spiritual heritage. And this morning, then, I want to introduce the book of 2 Timothy and explain these seven passages, these seven verses. And the way I want to do that, then, is in three movements. So if you're taking Notes. Maybe you grabbed one of our handout if you're just taking them fresh. Here's the three movements. First, we're going to consider Paul's fight for the crown. Then we're going to consider Timothy's fight for the crown. And then we're going to bring it all home by considering our fight for the crown. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you please open to 2 Timothy? If you don't have a Bible with you, just grab one in the little chair back in front of you because I want to show you from God's word how we can find encouragement to carry on in the fight. And the reason I want to have your Bible open is I can do my best up here to try to preach, but there's no power in just what I have to say. The power is all from God's word. So I want to show you how you can find courage to carry on. Now, jump in here to verse 1 as we consider Paul's fight for the crown. And we have to know something about 
Paul. See, the very first time we get introduced to Paul is in Acts chapter 7. And if you're a kid in here, do you know what Paul is doing there in Acts chapter 7 when we're first introduced to him? I don't know, Pastor. Is he doing the Lord's Supper? Is he praying? What's he doing in Acts 7? Answer, he's killing Christians. All right, would you say killing Christians on the count of three? One, two, three, killing Christians. All right, I think we can do a little bit better than that, so I'll try that again. We'll say killing Christians on the count of three. One, two, three, killing Christians. That's, that's exactly right. And last time I checked, killing Christians isn't really a good idea, especially if you're going to be authoring a book of the New Testament. But that's what Paul's doing. He's killing a man named Stephen, a special encouragement to anybody who walked in here and thought, that you're different than everybody because you're such a bad sinner. If God can save a guy like Paul, who killed Christians, I don't know what you've done, but he can save you too. Because here's what was going on with Paul. He was a pure-blood Jew, a Pharisee. He hated Christians. He thought Christians were blasphemers, so he's hunting them down and going after them. See, some Christians like to go on short-term mission trips. Paul liked to go on short-term imprisonment trips. Paul liked to get a few of his people, I don't know if he sent out support letters and says, hey, this next summer I'm really going to go with a few of my favorite friends to this special city where we're going to arrest and try to kill Christians. Would you please support me as I try to do the work of God? So that's what Paul's doing and he's on his way when Paul gets laid out. Just like Jim Redmond, Paul is doing his little thing when all of a sudden he gets knocked off his horse, he gets face down, he's broken, he's alone, he's having to do business with God himself when he learns not punishment from God but grace from God to say, Paul, you are on the wrong side. And in an incredible, ironic twist, the person who was most feared by Christians, Paul, he becomes a Christian and he trades in his imprisonment trips for mission trips. And this is the Paul then that we considered as we walked through our sermon series in 1 Timothy that we just finished last week. If we follow Paul, he does three mission trips and he ends up in prison in Rome. And at the very end of Acts 28, that's the last chapter in the book of Acts, that's probably when Paul sent his first letter to Timothy. Paul had met Timothy, he had brought Timothy into uh, this work of ministry, and he had left Timothy in the church of Ephesus, and Paul wrote then his, his child in the faith, Timothy, an encouraging letter there at the end of the book of Acts, roughly. We don't know this for sure from the book of Acts because it ends, but church history tells us Paul got out of jail, and Paul ended up going on a fourth mission trip, but then he got arrested at the end of that one. It's been a couple years now since he wrote 1 Timothy. Paul's now back in jail, and this time, Paul's going to die for the faith. What Paul realizes when he writes this letter to Timothy, and if you stick with us, you'll find it out. In fact, I'd love if you would be with us for this short sermon series through the book of 2 Timothy, because what we realize is Paul knows, I'm not getting out of jail this time. This is it. It's not if Paul's going to die, it's when he's going to die. And that then is the background of what's happening in this letter. Paul saying, I am coming to the end, and Timothy, I'm handing this thing off to you. I've heard it said 
Last words are lasting words. Last words are lasting words. And so what is Timothy going to tell his young protege in the faith? Paul, if you look at verse 1, isn't feeling sorry for himself. He's not entitled. He's not bitter. Look at the hope in verse 1 that Paul gives Timothy. Paul, I'm reading right there, follow along. An apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Hey, hey, if you're a kid in here and you're just learning how to listen to a sermon, what, what, what I want you to understand is there, there's these key parts of the scripture that you can write down. And if you're, if you're a kid in here writing notes, would you write hope next to verse 1? Because this thing is full of hope. This is full of hope. Because Paul's saying from here, hey, Timothy, take hope because I am an apostle of the real Jesus. And, and, and Paul's saying, by the way, I didn't nominate myself. I didn't run for like student council apostle of God and I, I, I earned enough votes for that position. Now look from the scriptures. Why is Paul this guy? According to the will of God. God made Paul an apostle. And Timothy wants, excuse me, Paul wants Timothy to know. I know the future looks scary, Timothy. And I know this is my last letter to you. But you can have hope because of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. See, friends, Timothy, we could imagine him like a boxer in a heavyweight match. And Timothy now is sitting on his stool in the corner between rounds. Timothy has taken some punches to the face. He's taken some body blows and he's tired and he's bleeding, and he's sweating, and he's wondering, do I actually have what it takes to make it through this fight? And Paul's telling him, you've got to remember the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. That may feel like clunky language. What Paul's saying is this, hey, Timothy, there is a real promise Oh, you don't always feel that promise when you're taking blows to the face, but there's a real promise, and there is real life in a real Jesus. You know, sometimes we go about our days, we go about our week, we go about our life. It's Thanksgiving, Christmas will be here in no time, and, 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 and without meaning to, this idea that there's a promise and there's life in Jesus it can become something we may say, we sing it about it for a little bit on a Sunday morning, but then we forget about it. What Paul's wanting Timothy to remember is, this is real. You need to understand this reality because it will provide gospel faithfulness to get you to the end. And that's what Timothy's gonna need, enduring faithfulness. Which brings us to our second idea. Paul showing us what has motivated him. Here then is what Timothy needs in his fight for the crown. Move with me to the second big idea, Timothy's fight for the crown. Now look, if you were going to read the book of 2 Timothy, and I actually think this would be a great idea. It, it would take you 10 minutes. Pastor, I hate reading the book of 2 Timothy. Okay, then listen to it. And if your drive to work is longer than 10 minutes then you could listen to it more than once. (laughs) 
read or listen to the book of 2 Timothy, and what you'd find is that, that the word lonely isn't actually in this book. The word lonely isn't there. If you do a word search in the ESV, you won't find lonely. But what you will find is Timothy facing lots of persecution and Paul encouraging him, here's how you persevere. I want you to persevere, Timothy. Now, as we walk through this letter, we're going to have to spend some time on how Timothy's supposed to preach the gospel and how he's going to pass on the gospel. But here, we're looking at this persecution and perseverance theme. And that should ring a bell for anybody that was here with us, First Timothy. If you were here with us with First Timothy, you can look up at me. Does that ring a bell at all? Like three of you are nodding your heads, so I guess, I don't know where the rest of you were, but because I, I remember you were here last week, okay? Not along with me, persecution, yeah. Remember in 1 Timothy, there were three places where Paul reiterates, chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 6, where Paul says, you have got to endure. You've got to endure. In, in, just in case, let me jog your memory from 1 Timothy chapter 1, 3. Here's a primary place where Paul is calling Timothy to endure. He writes, I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia to remain there at Ephesus so you may charge certain persons, those are the false teachers, not to teach different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. See, what, what Paul knew is that Timothy was trying to pastor in Ephesus. As he's pastoring, there were false teachers who were accusing Timothy of not being a pureblood. See, in case you didn't know, when Paul meets Timothy, we learn that Timothy's dad is Greek. Timothy's dad is Greek. So he's half Jew, half Greek, which means when Timothy goes to preach, there are some who are listening to him who go, you don't have the credentials, bro. You don't have what it takes. I learned over Thanksgiving that there's this new saying where you just go, oh, that's mid, man. That's mid. Some of you never heard that. I hadn't either until like three days ago. Some of you who know this are like, oh my goodness, my pastor's saying it's mid. I can't believe it. Some of these people would look at Timothy and go, mm, you're mid, man. Paul, he had all the credentials. Paul, he had all of the pure blood, Jewish background, Pharisee of Pharisees, discipled by the right guy. He had all of that 100% ethnic superiority that all the Jews were looking for, not Timothy. And so Timothy is getting the business from the false teachers who want to be devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Do you see that there in verse 4? Myths and endless genealogies. In fact, would you say that with me here on the count of three? Just myths and endless genealogies. Uh, let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. Myths and endless genealogies. That's some of the false teaching that Timothy is to confront See, here's what I think happened. And I'm on solid ground because guys a lot smarter than me and gals a lot smarter than me have pieced much of this together. I think Timothy, he got that letter at the end of Acts 28 from Paul that said, you need to confront these people. I think he did. I think he got in the boxing ring and he started going at those false teachers saying, myths and endless genealogies, that's not what's up. And I think those false teachers, instead of saying, well, I thank you, pastor, for confronting our false doctrine, we humbly submit to you and the Apostle Paul. Instead said, Psh, we're not going to listen to you, man, because you don't have the right family tree. 
you don't have the authority to tell us what to do, so we're going nowhere. Which means that those false teachers have dug in. They are battling Timothy back. They're throwing haymakers back at Timothy's face. And Timothy's going, I'm tired. Man, I did what you said, Paul, but those false teachers are bad dudes and they're beating me up something fierce. And so as Timothy is metaphorically sitting on his stool between boxing rounds, I think Timothy's looking for some encouragement. And he's going back to his corner and he's thinking, man, I feel all alone. I'm bleeding. I'm hurting. I'm breathing heavy. And who's going to help me out here? Here's what's so cool then. Paul cannot be with Timothy in Ephesus because Paul's arrested. Paul's in jail. So Paul, though, is like a good corner man. A corner man's that guy in the, in, who, who's waiting on his fighter and he's, he's cleaning him up. He's giving him water. He's telling him, here's the strategy for the next round. Here's, here's how you press on and carry on to finish the fight. Paul's like a corner man, unable to be there in person, but he's written him a letter. Here's the hope then that Paul gives Timothy. Great hope to keep fighting. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. Would you say my beloved child on the count of three? One, two, three. My beloved child. Oh, look at the end of verse 2. God the Father. Would you say God the Father on the count of three? One, two, three. God the Father. Now, how interesting that we are talking all about myths and endless genealogies, and Paul's going on the record to talk about how Timothy's his son and how God's the Father. See that? Oh, and if we keep going, look down here. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Would you say, as did my ancestors, on the count of three? One, two, three. As did my ancestors. I wonder why Paul's talking about ancestors here. Oh, and look further down. Verse 5. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. Say grandmother Lois. One, two, three. Grandmother Lois. And your mother Eunice. Say mother Eunice. Mother Eunice. Why is Paul talking all about this family tree? Why is he, why is he talking about his ancestors? Timothy's ancestors? How interesting, right? Kids, can you connect the dots? In case you can't, here's what Paul is doing. Paul, as Timothy's corner man, is telling Timothy, you have got to keep fighting this fight. And I realize, Timothy, that you have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with those false teachers, and you've told them, you've said to them, myths and family trees isn't what means that you're faithful to preach the gospel. Paul's telling Timothy, I know you've said that to them, and they're still fighting back. And so I want you to understand, Timothy, and I want all the church to understand, especially those false teachers who are trying to punch you in the face, you need to know, and they need to know, you have the right family tree, because Timothy, you're my son. Do you see how Paul is going toe-to-toe -to -toe? with the myths and genealogical family trees. Just so you know, church and Timothy, 
I'm adopting Timothy. I'm putting him in my family tree. God's the father. I'm an apostle according to his will. And Timothy's coming into my family tree. Not only that, let everyone know, Timothy has the real faith. His grandma had the real faith. Timothy has the real faith. What Paul's saying is, it's not biological family trees that make a man faithful to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter who your biological mom or dad is. What matters is your spiritual family tree. So just a few verses in, do you see, church, how Paul is standing in solidarity with Timothy, letting him know, I'm remembering you, verse 3, in prayer. I remember your tears, verse 4. I remember your sincere faith, verse 5. I'm remembering you, Timothy. See, I think Timothy was experiencing the way we started out this sermon his dreams had been dashed. He was an ideal preacher. He got into his first church, and all of a sudden, he's getting hammered. He is having pain shooting everywhere. He's feeling laid out, and he's broken and alone. And Paul's saying, I'm the real deal, bro, and you're the real deal. Not because you have the right family tree, but because you have the right spiritual family tree. And that remembrance is what was going to motivate Timothy to get back in the ring. This was going to help Timothy who was feeling tired and alone. And I'm convinced that many of us in here, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you're here for the hundredth time, but I'm convinced that many have walked in here and somehow this week or this year or this this decade, you have been blindsided. You have found yourself face down in your running lane. Pain is shooting everywhere, and you're feeling tired, and you're feeling alone, and you're wondering, where am I going to find the gospel courage to get up and finish this race? See, if you're here and a Christian, my guess is you've taken some haymakers yourself. And who's going to help you get to the finish line? Well, that brings us to big idea number three in our fight for the crown. Here in verse six and seven, Paul's moving to application. This will be our takeaway for today. Paul calling Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. Would you say fan into flame with me on the count of three? One, two, three, fan into flame. This is the application. Fan into flame. But I want you to notice this mysterious interplay between what God has given him and what Timothy must do. Okay, notice there is a gift from God. Would you say gift of God? One, two, three, gift of God. God has given Timothy a gift and yet Timothy is responsible to fan it into flame. If you're a Christian in here, you have been given a gift from the Holy Spirit. You maybe have been given lots of gifts by the Holy Spirit. You may be the most spiritually gifted person in here. And yet, you must fan it into flame. Both are true. It's a mysterious interplay. My favorite commentator on the book of Timothy so far is John Stott. He says it better than me. Here's the quote. Timothy's mom and grandma could teach Timothy out of the Bible and lead Timothy in conversion. And Paul could actually bring Timothy to Christ, befriend Timothy, pray for Timothy, write to Timothy, train and exhort Timothy. 
and God could give Timothy this special gift at his ordination. But still, Timothy must himself stir up the divine gift within him. He must add his own self-discipline to God's gifts, and we are no different. However much or little we may have received from God, either directly in natural and spiritual endowment or indirectly because of our parents and our friends and teachers, we must still apply ourselves in active self-discipline to cooperate with God's grace, to keep fanning the inner fire into flame. Otherwise, we shall never be the men and women God wants us to be or fulfill the ministry he has given us to exercise. See, Paul wants Timothy to fan into flame this gift. For doing so would lead Timothy away from fear and into power and love and self-control. Anybody in here feeling anxious and struggling because you're afraid? I struggle with that. Wouldn't it be great to trade our fear for gospel power, gospel love, and self-control? Anybody in here had a hard time showing love to family this last break? Nope, just me, I guess. <laughs> no, I saw one of you in your head. Anybody in here struggling with self-control this week? Here's hope. Here's hope from Paul to Timothy. Timothy, you do not have to sit in fear in the corner of this boxing ring feeling like you're just taking all these body shots from the false teachers. No, instead of fear, you can have gospel power, gospel love, gospel self-control. But the way you do that is you've got to fan it in the flame. You've got to fan it in the flame. And if you're tracking with me in this sermon, you may be thinking, okay then, okay, how do I fan it in the flame? And that's what the book of 2 Timothy is all about. See, Paul's going to give Timothy eight ways to get off the stool and get back in the fight. To switch metaphors, Paul's going to give Timothy eight ways that you're going to get up from feeling like you're in pain and it's shooting everywhere and you're going to make it across the finish line. And that's what we're going to do in this sermon series. Today we get the first one. And the first one I hope you've seen is this. You carry on the fight by remembering your spiritual heritage. That's where we started with the sermon in a sentence. And that's the first encouragement that Paul is giving to Timothy as his corner man. He's saying, you get in that fight right now by remembering your spiritual heritage. And that's what you and I need as well. See, like Timothy, you and I need to remember. Again, from God's word, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. We find courage by remembering our spiritual heritage. Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? What I'm telling you to do is exactly what Paul's calling Timothy to do. You need to remember who's in your corner. See, if you're here in a Christian, let me ask you this. Who shared Jesus with you? Who shared Jesus with you? Who's the first person who said, on your own, you are a sinner? You have failed God completely. Who's the first person who had the guts to say that to your face? Because it isn't a popular message. I loved Micah's testimony. Somebody shared that message with him. I don't know who the first person was. Maybe his dad. Maybe his mom. Maybe grandparents. Maybe school. Maybe church. Who was it for you? 
Who's the first person who said that to you? What I'm wanting you to understand is whoever said that to you, they're in your corner. They're in your spiritual heritage. Whether they're still alive or whether they've passed on, they've left a legacy for you. They have passed that gospel down to you and they are cheering for you to not quit the fight. Or maybe it's not who shared the gospel with you. Maybe it's just who prayed for you? Who has prayed for you? Who's the person who said, don't quit? You keep going. They're in your corner. See, Hebrews 12 tells us that there's this thing called a great cloud of witnesses. And Hebrews 12 calls us to run this race in view of this great cloud of witnesses. And, and we're going to go through the book of Hebrews this next year. So I haven't done a deep dive on all the great cloud of witnesses. But I'm wondering if it isn't people who've been saints of Jesus Christ and now have died. Now I'm wondering, well, we'll find out for sure when we get there in Hebrews 12. I'm wondering if Paul's not in that great cloud of witnesses. If Timothy's not in that great cloud of witnesses. I'm wondering if his, Timothy's mom and grandma in that great cloud of witnesses. And I'm wondering if some of your people aren't in the great cloud of witnesses right now. You gone to any funerals and buried people who loved Jesus and encouraged you on? I imagine them cheering for you right now, saying, don't you quit the fight. You don't quit. Be like those great British runners. Finish the race no matter the cost. Like the crowd watching Derek Redmond get up, our job the principle that's going to help us finish this race to carry the fight is to listen with spiritual ears. Dear friend, consider right now, who are those people who've gone before you? And if you're here and you're like, it's just my mom. Pastor, I don't have anybody else. It's just my mom. I wonder if Timothy felt that at times too. Or if you're here and you are a mom, and you feel like you're the only one who's trying to pass this thing on? You're not so different than Timothy. You're not so different than Timothy's mom who may feel that way. What I'm trying to say is, while your circumstances may have left you blindsided and left you in pain, if you're here and you're a Christian, you are never ultimately broken or alone. Christ has not left you to yourself. There may be times when you feel like you've torn a metaphorical hamstring and you are face down in your lane. But Emmanuel, God with us, he has told us he will never leave us or forsake us. And when Christ ascended to the right hand of God, he sent us the Holy Spirit. We have, as Christians, God himself in us who is going to help us cross the finish line. So we need to finish our fight for the crown. And we need somebody who's gone before us to help us understand this is how it's done. And that's what Paul has for us. He's been there, done that. He's at the end and he's saying one way to finish this fight is by remembering your spiritual heritage. So let me try to press this in in three ways. Let me try to press this in for three types of people here. See, my guess is many of us find ourselves hurting, broken, weary, or discouraged. But three groups of people. If you're here and you're a member of this church, you're here and a member of this church. Perhaps it's because of circumstances recently. Perhaps it's now your norm. If you're a member of this church and you're having a hard time, I'd encourage you to reach out to one of our elders. 
We have 15 elders here, and it would be our great desire and joy to get to care for you. See, too many times, folks are actually carrying a terrible burden, members of this church who are feeling hurt, and you may feel like, I don't know what to do with this great pain. This is us going on the record saying, would you please share it with us, because we want to care for you. And it makes me sad. I've heard stories of, of Christians, members who've said, man, I actually can't go to church this week because my life is too messy. I feel too broken. I feel too messed up to actually. So I've got to clean myself up before I actually go to church. But can you imagine if you're a mom and a dad in here, if your kid is out playing and they skin their hands and their knees up because they fall, can you imagine saying to them, actually, you need to clean yourself up before I comfort you? That's not how it works in real life, and it shouldn't be the way it works in a church. See, if you're here, and you're a Christian, and you feel like, well, I can only show up when my life looks good, and I'm, I'm Instagram worthy to be a part of the church, you've missed the whole point. This is a place where the hurting, and the broken, and the weary, and the tired can find comfort. So if you're here, and you're a member of our church, and you're, you're feeling really isolated and alone, man, we would just love for you to take an opportunity to share that with us. And in fact, here, after I'm done preaching and we pray, there's going to be a chance to have a few elders and ladies available that would pray with you. We're going to invite all of you to take a moment and receive some prayer from us. This is our attempt to try to apply this to our lives. If you're here and struggling, our elders would love to help you. For others here, you're a Christian. You're not a member of this church. But you too have felt like your dreams have been dashed you have been laid out, and you're feeling broken and alone. If that's you, it may sound strange, but I think one of the best things you could do is become a member of our church. And here's why. One of the massive benefits of being a member is that you get Mill Creek elders in your corner. All 15 of us elders saying, we've got your back. And we're going to pray for you by name. And we're available to care for you. And we want good for you. And you can call on us whenever you need us. And we're here to support you. We want to know you and care for you and encourage you. Dear friend who's a Christian but not committed to membership here, understand the Bible doesn't have a category for Lone Ranger Christians. We'd love to help you become a part of our family. For those of you, if you're struggling, you're not a member, you're not a Christian even, you're actually, you're not, you've never trusted in Christ alone for salvation. You found yourself here, but you have not surrendered to him. And kids, I'm talking to you especially here. If you're here, you will not find salvation just because grandma was a Christian. Timothy wasn't a Christian just because of his grandma, nor was Timothy a Christian because of his mom. Everyone in here... Each of you will have to make a decision on what you believe and you have to decide who Christ is for you. If you're here and you are not a Christian, understand one day you will be called to account who Christ is. And I must tell you, spiritually, you are alone. If you're not a Christian spiritually, you're sitting on a stool between boxing rounds and you have no corner man. No one encouraging you to finish the fight. And yet there's hope for you. And here it is. God, the loving Father, has sent His only Son to earth 
His son has come. And his son came and fought the good fight. Jesus Christ came and he ran the race. Jesus Christ came and his race was ultimately to finish at the cross. And he ran his race and he finished his race. And he now offers his perfect race to you. All you would have to do is receive it. Say, yes, I want Christ's results credited to my account. See, Jesus, friends, he didn't just tear a hamstring in his race. Jesus didn't just find himself face down on the back 200. Instead, Jesus, he found his body completely broken. Jesus endured pain shooting everywhere. Jesus really was laid out, killed. Jesus really was alone so that you never have to run your race alone. See, the most beautiful moment of that Jim Redmond race that we started with, it wasn't just that he got back up. And it wasn't just that he hobbled around for a while. But if you've ever seen the video, somehow his dad was able to get out of the stands, jump the fence, clear security, and his dad met him on that last 100-meter stretch. And his dad put his arm around Jim. He said, we're going to get you across that finish line. So it didn't seem like Jim was going to be able to do it on his own. And so there's these two men, father and son, slowly, with now the whole crowd behind him, clapping him on, saying, get him home. I think that's a fitting picture of what Paul's doing here for Timothy. Paul putting his arm around Timothy saying, I know you're hurting, but this is how you finish the race. If you're here and you don't have Christ Here's Christ coming out the stands, jumping the fence, clearing security, saying, I'll get you home. Come on. This is how you finish. If you're here and you don't have Christ, he would love to carry you home. All you have to do is call out to him. For all of us, for all of us, the way that we're going to carry on the fight, the way that we finish this race, is by remembering our spiritual heritage. And may that be enough to allow us to carry on and finish our fight. Would you pray with me now and ask the Spirit to do this? God, we are unable on our own to motivate ourselves. We need you, and I pray you would grant us everything that is necessary to carry on and finish our fight faithfully. God, we thank you then for your Bible. Thank you that it is alive. Thank you that it matters, and when understood, it is you speaking to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would take whatever is your words and you would press them deeply into your people's hearts. God, for those who are here right now, I pray you would, uh, who don't know you, I pray you'd save them. Please save them. We thank you for the salvation you've granted to Micah and his obedience and baptism and pray you would bring many more to saving faith. God, for those who are Christians and they're feeling so broken and so laid out, encourage for members here who need care from elders. Pray you'd grant that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.